0: Welcome to episode 30 of China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China's leaders love to boast of their country's economic achievements, especially recently in the wake of the Covid pandemic. The official narrative is simple. While the rest of the world continues to endure great economic pain, China is almost back to full strength. In reality, the situation's a bit more complicated, partly because GDP growth can be measured in various ways and it's always presented in a very flattering light by the official Chinese media. And while some sectors and regions of China do seem to be booming, others are still struggling. Well, given the complexities, I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast an expert who's gathered a great deal of experience in picking through the data He's promised to help us understand what's going on in China this year. He's Tommy Wu, Lead Economist for China at Oxford Economics, and he joins me on the line from Hong Kong. Tommy, welcome back to China in Context. Hello, Duncan,
1: and thank you for having me here again.
0: Now, let's begin by trying to appraise what's been happening to the Chinese economy since the start of 2021. Talk to me about the recent figures showing the GDP growth that we've seen so far and, and and explain to us what we're expecting for the year as a whole.
1: Well, in the first quarter of this year, uh, we have seen a 18.3% year on year growth, which sounds spectacular. Um, but what it's actually hiding is number one, um, it's a comparison with a extremely low base in 2020 when the ch- country was hit by uh, the first wave of COVID. So that's why uh, the, the so-called year-on-year comparison uh, is getting a, a boost because of the ba- favorable base effect. Um, but if we look at the, in, in, in a sequential quarter-on-quarter terms, um, the official number says that the economy grew by quarter on quarter. Um, But actually, according to uh, our estimate at Oxford Economics, uh, there should have been a mild contraction instead.
0: So a, a contraction actually, quite interesting. I know I always ask you this in our conversations, but before we delve too deeply into the data, can you just clarify a bit on how your company Oxford Economics treats the information released by China's National Bureau of Statistics? is it reliable
1: well as economists i mean we have to work with whatever we can get from the official data and also from uh, other sources uh, of data if if possible Um, but at least uh, what we're trying to do is we will look at various indicators from the industrial production from retail sales online retail sales or you know uh, brick and mortar sales uh, investment data exports imports uh, on on the Chinese side and also on you know the other side uh, of these exports destination or sources of imports to uh, to match with uh, what we are seeing in, in China. So uh, occasionally these trends don't match well with the trends implied by the GDP. So um, but what's important to us is is try to make sense out of all these uh, you know a mixed pool of data that's available to us, which at times could be very challenging especially uh, when it comes to uh, inflection points or turning points of the economy
0: you write some very helpful reports explaining china's economy to your email subscribers one of the recent reports highlighted the way in which the government is aiming to support some strategic high tech industries could you share with us a little bit more about how that policy works and what kind of companies will benefit
1: so um, this year is the beginning of the, uh, the, the period of the 14 five-year plan, which covers uh, 2021 to 2025. And uh, under the plan, uh, it puts great emphasis on uh, uh, a lot of different things in the domestic economy, especially on the technology front, as well as the uh, green energy or climate-related projects. And also the plant put great emphasis on, uh, on, 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 say, the self-reliance of technology and being a leader in the digital economy as well as in green energy uh, to meet uh, goals such as reaching peak carbon emissions by 2030 and also carbon neutral by 2060. So uh, some of the industries that's being involved uh, are, say, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, uh, semiconductors, that's something we have heard a lot uh, in recent days, and also on uh, genetic research or um, other types of uh, medical research in, in general. So uh, these are all uh, you know cutting edge technologies that we are talking about, and um, the government is willing to uh, you know put lots of resources uh, whether through subsidizing or uh, try to uh, engage private sector to wor- work with. Uh, public sector to, uh, you know, to come up with uh, great ideas and of new technologies and how to actually implement them uh, in the next uh, five years or so.
0: What about the vaccine situation in China? We're recording this podcast in August 2021. What proportion of the population has been vaccinated so far? And are the vaccines effective?
1: No. Um, as of now, about 50 to 60% of the population uh, has been fully vaccinated, um, but I'm not a health expert, so I can't really say how effective the vaccines are. Um, but um, what I can tell you is uh, you know, there are concerns. Uh, it's not just within China, but also globally that you know, there could be breakthrough infections, even though people get uh, two jabs uh, of the vaccines already, uh, given how, uh, how, how things are, are happening uh, with, with the Delta variant at the moment. So, uh, but as an economist, I think uh, one thing is in terms of the vaccination rate, uh, but the other thing that I found more important, especially in the case of China, is uh, the fact that uh, the, the Beijing government is taking a zero tolerance uh, approach and it's unlikely to be changed in the future. So why that's important is because even if the entire population is vaccinated and assuming that uh, the vaccines work to a certain degree, uh, whether it's against the Delta variant or any possible new variants in the future, but with zero tolerance approach, uh, even with one infection or several infections, that could already trigger uh, some kind of, uh, uh lockdowns or uh you know tightening of restrictions that will uh, affect uh, uh you know local consumptions or even uh, uh port disruptions when we talk about shipments and, and 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 production in general so i think um you know this is something that we have to uh, think about in terms of how uh, china's zero tolerance approach will affect Uh, China's growth this year and next year, and perhaps have implications on the global supply chains.
0: Mm, That's a very useful piece of analysis. So are people now free to travel around the country as they wish? Is that
1: providing an economic boost? Um, So at the moment uh, uh, when we are talking about this in mid-August, people in the, uh, well, because of the, the, the local outbreak, Uh, Of the Delta variant in the country, um, there are still a lot of areas that are heavily under heavy restrictions. So um, travel around the country uh, is kind of limited at the moment. But let me uh, take you back to, you know, say in June before the latest wave of uh, COVID. Um, At that time, uh, the cases were very low, and hotels, flights, and road traffic uh, were pretty much back to the pre-pandemic levels. So uh, I can say that or foresee that uh, in the coming months when the current wave of uh, COVID is contained again, then a lot of these uh, travel activities will get back to uh, normal again. But the thing is uh, we've seen travel spending, uh, even though travel itself can get back to pre-pandemic levels, at least in terms of domestic travel, um, the travel spending, uh, when it comes to say uh, in holidays and things like that, uh, it was only about seventy percent of uh, pre-pandemic levels. So um, this is why um, the the fear of COVID itself uh, is having an, a, a lingering a lingering impact on uh, the, the domestic consumption recovery.
0: When we spoke a few months ago on this podcast, you expressed your concern about the level of debt in China, particularly the borrowing that goes on through the so-called shadow banking system, in other words, unregulated loans. What's your feeling now? Are you still concerned?
1: I'm less concerned about the shadow banking sector right now because uh, in the past few months, uh, the size of it has been reduced by at least 10%. Uh, thanks to the government's campaign to clamp down on the sector. And I think, uh, given the willingness of the government, this will be ongoing. So I'm less concerned about shadow banking sector at the moment. Uh, But what I do concern about is if China can uh, handle the debt problem of the real estate sector in an orderly manner. Um, Take the case of Evergrande, which is uh, one of the company real estate uh, developer Uh, which is uh, perhaps the most indebted uh, property developer in the world. And uh, even though um, uh, the company promised to uh, cut down its debt, uh, which it did uh, to some extent, uh, the the amount of debt uh, is still, uh, 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 it was about uh, 500 and, you know, 600 uh, billion yuan. Uh, as of uh, June, twenty twenty one. So I mean, uh, this is a huge amount, and it's you know I, I'm a bit doubtful about how the company can actually repay this. Um, so you know, this is one of the one of the examples where that uh, problem in the real estate sector could actually uh, trigger a more systemic uh, financial turmoil uh, in China, given how many banks or how many, uh, you know, uh, investors or uh, creditors are involved uh, in in the borrowing of the real estate sector.
0: Looking through your reports, one of the things that stands out for me is the strong growth in exports from China this year. I noticed when I received a COVID testing kit in the UK recently, it was made in China Is the world still turning to China for the equipment to
1: deal with COVID? Well, the world world is still turning to China for uh, COVID-related equipment. Uh, But the thing is, uh, because of high vaccination rates, especially in the US and Europe, and also because of the reopening of these economies, uh, the need for these equipments have uh, diminished. So that's why I think uh, the export growth of uh these uh, covid related equipment has already peaked for china even though in terms of shipments uh it it has been staying uh flat uh, in, in the past few months
0: and lastly what about measures to reduce co2 emissions the chinese government's placed a lot of emphasis on that recently could you say something about how the policies on the environment are impacting the economy
1: To answer this question, uh, there are two parts of it. Now, the first part is uh, from a more medium to longer term perspective, um, the development of electric vehicles or uh, green infrastructure and also the power generation using, say, uh, wind, solar and other green energy sources. uh, You know, they have been experiencing uh, fast progress in the past few years. and. I think this will continue, and China wants to be a leader in these areas. So you would expect that these sectors will continue to do well and will be important drivers uh, for the economy uh, in the coming years. Now, but in the short term, though, uh, there is a trade-off in terms of how policy actions uh, to reduce, uh, say, carbon emissions uh, can actually uh, have a negative impact on some of the sectors and also on the economy. So for example, the government is cutting steel production right now. So that would have obviously be positive from a climate perspective, uh, but it's negative uh, for the sector and also on the economy uh, when it comes to uh, how we calculate GDP, uh, when it comes to the production of steels uh, being uh, diminished over time. Um, so, I would say that, uh, you know, in, in the, in the, there are obviously trade-offs in the, in the, in the short term uh, from these uh, production cuts, but in the long term with the development of new sectors that will benefit uh, China's economy.
0: Well, thank you, Tommy. We've covered a lot of ground in the past few minutes. That was Tommy Wu, lead economist for China at Oxford Economics in Hong Kong. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our activities, including our courses and research, on the website soas.ac.uk. But until next time, that's all from us now on the China in Context podcast team.